When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, crackers, napkins, Clorox disinfecting bleach. Check. Now, roses. Uh, what if they wilt? Attention, shoppers. Clorox disinfecting bleach is a great way to keep flowers fresh for longer. It'll even work for that uh, ink stain on your shirt. Ah, not again. Clean anything with the versatile Clorox disinfecting bleach. Discover more hacks at Clorox.com learn. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 72nd edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded here in central London, just off historic Abbey Road. And I want to thank everyone for tuning in to last week's show on our reunion episode, where Jackson and I finally got together here in London after living here for three years, after COVID had kept everyone from traveling to so many of the destinations that they wanted to over the last couple of years. We finally connected Got to take a tour of a bunch of classic rock haunts all around London town and got to review what turns out to be Genesis' second to last show ever at the O2 down in central London there. So we appreciate you tuning in for that. This week, we're really excited. We've got a couple of special guests on here whose names you may know. It's Deborah Bonham and Peter Bullock. They're the husband-wife duo who've been touring together for a long time. They worked with Paul Rogers. Maybe you in the U.S. saw them on the Stars Line tour where Deborah was first on the bill, then uh, Ann Wilson from Heart, Jeff Beck, and Paul Rogers. And Peter Bullock played with Paul Rogers in his band. Paul really likes Peter's tone uh, and selected him as the perfect Paul Kossoff uh, replacement as he did his Free Spirit tribute to his first real band, Free. Now you might recognize Deborah's na- last name, Bonham. Yes, she is the sister of the late great John Bonham. But we're not really here to talk to her about Led Zeppelin. We're here to talk about this amazing new album that they put together. It's full of blues covers and it's called Bonham Bullock. And they whittled it down from about a hundred ideas and created these amazing covers of songs. Some you'll recognize. Some are classic blues covers. Some are more modern and maybe you wouldn't know them as well, but their treatment is amazing. And those of you who don't know Peter Bullock's guitar tone, you're missing out. This guy sounds incredible, and of course he's been honing his chops for decades. I was fortunate enough once to see them a little bit, saw Deborah a little bit on the Stars Line tour, and I got to see Peter play with Paul Rogers on the Stars Line tour. But this is a great album. Once I heard it, I heard an advanced copy of it, I knew that our listeners would want to learn more about it. And you should really check it out. It's fantastic, and it's out April the 29th. Now, before we get into that, I want to say, as usual, we want you to subscribe and download wherever you get your podcasts, be it Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Good Pods, Google Play, anywhere you get them. And consider giving us a good review if you enjoy the show. It just helps us find more fans like yourselves. And be sure that you tweet us at Ugly underscore Werewolf or at ActionJack72. Now this week, you'll notice that Jackson is not with us during the interview. Jackson had a family emergency to take care of, uh, but we hope all is well with him. He should be back next week, and we look forward to, to welcoming him back. So it's just me on my own, 
talking to Deborah Bonham and Peter Bullock of Bonham Bullock. And I got to tell you, they're two fantastic people. Very, very nice, very open, very warm, very generous with spirit. Peter Bullock's quite a character. I bet he'd be the kind of guy you'd love to bump into in the pub and, and spend an hour or two with. Sounds like he's got some great stories. Uh, but Deborah was very generous, not only sharing all their thoughts on their careers this far, but of course a, a little bit of the obligatory talk about the influence her brother had on her. So without further ado, let's jump into it. It's my interview with Deborah Bonham and Peter Bullock here on The Wolf. There he, oh, here's the man. There How you he doing? is. Hey, Pete. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing great. Great. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having us. This is the man with the tone. Listen, I I, I got to tell you, Jackson and I, and I was just telling Deborah, my partner in crime, Jackson, he had a family emergency, couldn't be here. He's sorry. He, he can't be. It'll just be me today. But we're guitar freaks. And, and and how we met is we were freshmen in college. We roomed together. And within two minutes of saying, hi, I'm Mac. Nice to meet you. I was putting a, a picture of a poster of Jimmy Page with the double neck red Gibson on our wall, right? So we've been into guitar and the tone of rock guitar for so long. And we get a lot of people who send us records like, hey, here's our new record. Would you like to interview him or have him on the show? And most of the time it's like, yeah, okay, that's great. Thanks. Maybe not a fit. But as soon as Dave sent me your all's record and I heard your tone, I'm like, Jackson, you got to hear this guy. We, we got to have them on the show. This kicks ass, man. So we are really glad to be talking to you. Oh, yeah, thanks for that. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, that tone goes back a long way, probably to the uh, Peter Greens and Paul Kossoffs and people like that. That's uh, that was what the tone that got me off. And uh, and uh, I, I can remember getting my first amplifier from uh, a Marshall uh, from an electronic secondhand store across from my school. And the, the guitar version of the Marshall valve head, it, uh, it was so much more expensive than the bass version. So I picked up the bass version for like 90 quid, 120 bucks. Gotcha. When I was about 11 years old. So that's 10 years ago. No, maybe maybe a lot more than that. <laughs> you went, you went grey very young, didn't you? I did. I went grey at 31. <laughs> anyway, I'm digging your beard, just like you're digging my turn. Absolutely. That's that's what it's all about, us, us white bearded guys. You get a little grey in there, you got to stick together, my friend. It's about beard tone as well, isn't it? Absolutely. So we got, <laughs> I'll get with Marshall hey, and the guy in the shop says, you know, the only difference between the guitar one and the bass one is you snip this little uh, snip this little resistor, right? And that's all you need to do. So we did that, and it sounded peachy. About 30 years later, I found out that Kossoff did the same thing. Is that all right? All those years. Yeah, just, just totally accidental. And a lot of the guitarists in the days used bass, bass heads rather than the guitar heads. So, yeah, an accident, but uh, in search of tone. <laughs> excellent, excellent. But as well, pickups as well are a big deal as well. I have a, a, a pal who handmade me some pickups, and where, whereas guitar pickups, a, a lot of manufacturers made their guitars very loud so that so that a, a kid in a shop would go, I want the loud one, Danny, but uh, Daddy, you know, but uh, these ones are actually very quiet, so you actually have to drive the amp a lot. So the guitar is actually quiet. So You're giving you away your trademarks, aren't you? Yeah, I'll say no more. Dave Walsh with Pendle Pickups. He's got to do an interview with Guitarist Magazine. I mean, all these interviews, he keeps going on about I know, guitars. I and yeah, I see yes. him going like this. I keep having to wake her up, you know. I'm like, like, oh, wake me when it's finished. <laughs> oh, all goodness. I know is put your guitar 
and then when it, whenever it gets to about her childhood, I'll be. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, uh, of course, yes, there's going to be some obligatory childhood questions. We want to get into Bonham Bullock because when I heard this, I got really excited. Uh, you know, someone who grew up listening to the blues maybe didn't understand it. I just knew I loved the guitar work of the blues and the way the blues sounded. Being a white kid from the suburbs of America, maybe I hadn't lived enough to appreciate what the blues really were, but the sound of it is the same, right? Exactly what I've been saying. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, it's probably why we were sort of waited till we were this age to be yeah. confident to do it some sort of justice. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. And as a 21-year-old, too many other things going on on our head from white suburbia. Yeah, <laughs> so, that's exactly it. Uh, yeah, it, it, 30, 30 years later, having lived a bit, lost a bit, and hurt a bit, and, and laughed a bit. and uh, You can just bring some of it. And they're overindulged in some things, and all sorts of all that sort of stuff all comes to the pie. Well, that's yeah, kind of what it, it takes. It yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, well, before we get into that, I know a lot of our listeners probably don't know your all's origin stories of like starting your careers. And I'm going to let Deborah go first here, Peter. But, you know, I, I think a lot of people or, or some people may be familiar with your original back in the day pop princess kind of for you in the moon album. And I listened to it. And I also listened to one that you've kind of subsequently released. I think it's Looking Back at the Moon, where you did sessions from yeah. around that time. And, and and I know, obviously, you're very young then. It sounds like it was produced, A, it was produced out of your control. Like They didn't give you a whole lot to say yeah. out of final production. Yeah. But it was also very of the time. Whereas I feel yeah. like what you're doing now is for all time. It's timeless. Whereas then it was like, okay, yeah. we've got a girl we want to talk, turn into a pop princess. We've got the formula. So you lay down your tracks, you know, sweetie. That's not yeah. me. That's them. You lay down your tracks yeah. and we'll take care oh, of no, it from you there. You got it in one. Fantastic. I mean, we don't have to talk about that now. You, You've nailed it. Yeah, you got it in one. I mean, it, was, it wasn't even you lay down the tracks, sweetie. It was you just sing, sweetie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Um, Shorten the skirt a bit, you know. <laughs> I, it was, I was a fish out of water, complete fish out of water. I mean, that wasn't me. The songs that I wrote had a quite sort of a folky blues feel. I guess Career Records knew what they were doing, but uh, because it, it did sell well. Mm-hmm. Um, it, did, it was very Euro, wasn't it? So well, it, so it was recorded in Germany. They so, took me so it sold well in Germany. Yeah. But a surprise for that was it sold really well in South America. And still, mm. to, still to this day, the, the data, statistics, YouTube views, all that kind of stuff that you get to see, it's all South American countries on, on all those tracks. I mean, it's it, incredible. you know, they took, me, they took me to Germany. In the sessions, no one spoke English, so I was really, you know, just... But the, the one good thing that happened was I met Tony Carey from uh, Rainbow, who Richie Blackman was Rainbow. Mm-hmm. Um, he did Rainbow Rising and all of that, the, the big album. Tony was a co-owner of the studio, and he was an American guy living in, is an American guy living in Germany. And that was great, you know. But And he played some bass on one of the tracks. But I just kept thinking, wow, what are they doing to my music? You know, this is, right. this is crazy. You know, I was quite a hippie, you know. I just really, hippie sort of bluester, sort of folky, you know. But certainly not um, 80s rock, you know. And um, and then it ended up going very eighties rock, but well, of course, eighties rock was new then. So so you yeah, so you wouldn't have been yes. a fan then because 
it was all just new, wasn't it? So, and you weren't a pioneer of 80s rock. I wasn't, so. I wasn't a fan so the whole way through. It was, a, it was an 80s rock accident where somebody no. turned your stuff into 80s just rock. Just not a fan at all. But um, anyway, so, it, you know, yeah, that's, you, you nailed it. That's exactly how it was. Well, um, you couldn't take the credit, central- but then you couldn't take the blame either, I guess, is part of it. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> the, the issue that happened was I got that deal anonymously because I sent off my <clears throat> um, demos and I, I just purposely didn't want to put the name Bonham there because of all that that would entail. And, of course, we'd only lost John in, in 1980. So I didn't do that. And, and I got so this, this deal. This would have been about 83, wouldn't it? Because the and album I, came out in 85. It was about 82 when I first 82? started talking to... 82, yeah. Okay. When I first started talking to Carrere. And, you know, but it soon came out. And when it... And, People have said to me since, well, you know, you could have changed your name, but no matter what I would have done, it would have come out, you know. So I just thought, okay, brace yourself. Here we go. <laughs> this is going to happen. And plus, plus um, when you just lost your big brother, who was yeah, here, was a bit, called it, Bonham, you don't want to yeah. change your name, do you? And why run from it's that? Like, it's nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah. Oh, God, no, no, not at all. But, you know, it, it is quite a double-edged, well, was, not now. Although... As we've just seen, it, it's still he he does create this uh, incredible. Everybody wants to know about John, and I get that, you know, and it's fine, and I'm incredibly proud of him for you know everything he did, and look, I'm biggest Led Zeppelin fan. But back then, it was a real eye opener, mm-hmm. you know, a real eye opener, and it, I struggled. I really struggled. I struggled with the music. I struggled with the interviews. I struggled with a, a lot of it, and. Career eventually went into uh, liquidation. They, they um, ceased trading, and so that sort of put an abrupt end to my music career with them. And I'd signed a contract in perpetuity, so I was pretty much stuck with, with the production company. Yeah, uh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't get out of it. It was down to me to go to court and all that. You know. So I had a good ten years from that album working in the industry, playing gigs, just paying my dues, really. And I think if that album had have really, really taken off, I don't really think I'd be here today, you know, and I certainly wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I, it, it, the path has been the right path for me to get to where I am now, you know. I'm sort of, I'm glad that nothing really happened back then, that it's been a tough path, but it's been one well, well-travelled and I needed to get there to make the album that we've made today, you know. So I don't have any regrets at all that it went that way. I've learned a lot, you know, that's the way it is. No, you've earned your spot, you know, and you were born to sing this blues, soulful music. And maybe at 23 or so, that's not uh, that's not what you're going to be singing. But now, absolutely, you've earned it and you do it as well as anyone. Oh, thank you. Although there was thank a song, you. I mean, there was some songs on there, like Pretender, I think, was on the Looking Back. I mean, this is a good song. Yeah. Yes, it's kind of got that 80s AOR sound all over it, but like, this is still good stuff. You had the chops. It's just that, that wasn't really who you were at your core. No, no, you're right. And I, and I think this is, it, it's all been a, a development. Um, you know, I mean, years ago, we did a tour in America with my nephew, Jason Bonham, and we were going down a store. We are playing our own music. 97. 90, 97, yeah. Okay. We, were, we, were going, we were going down an absolute storm at these venues, you know, queues of people trying to buy a, a, a homemade little CD, you know. 
And um, but Sony came to came to one of the shows and then wanted a meeting when we got to Los Angeles, you know. And we thought, yeah, you know, because the crowd would go mental and everything was great. And actually, they weren't really interested in what we were doing. What they wanted me to do was a, a Lady Sings the Blues album then. Okay. Doing Billie Holiday, Etta James, you know, sort of famous songs. And I walked away from that because I just thought, no, I, you know, like Pete said a bit earlier, and like you said, coming from white suburbia, I wasn't ready. I hadn't gone through enough to be able to bring the blues emotion. Genuinely. Yeah, genuinely. Rather, rather than a lot of people phone it in, I think is the expression you like to use in America. It's, yep. Yeah. It's, we don't do phoning it in. No, <laughs> and I, I just, it wasn't going to be organic. I just thought, you know, no. He was sat there. He says this now. I was he, going, phone it in, phone it in, <laughs> think of the books. Well, they were sitting there saying, you know, and we could do this and we could get her a Grammy and we can do this and we'll, we'll put this amount of money into it. He's going, great, great. And I'm going, no, the money. no, 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 I'm not doing that. So um, that was something I will do. And I, again, I don't regret it because then we went on to make other albums, the old hide and uh, things and met great people and yeah it's all a learning curve but now it felt the time's right you know yeah yeah all right well let's switch over to you then pete i mean an irishman who i guess grew up listening to some killer rock and roll but somewhere along the line you heard the guitar and said oh that's that's what i need to do right so can you tell me a little bit about how you came in yeah i'm very about seven years old so i I had an uncle who's three years older than me so he was he was sort of leading the leading the path for me or parting the waves for me to sort of follow in his shirt shirt tails kind of thing or coat tails, whatever you call. And then and we we just listened to like par- <laughs> parents' records. No, I wasn't lifting his shirt tails. <laughs> and so so it would have been anything from like the, the Beatles and the Stones to uh Roy Orbison and uh the Shadows and Burt. And, uh, yeah, all those kind of things that had a guitar going twine. You, you, know? I, you can hear Eddie Cochran in you. As Eddie well. Cochran, loved Eddie mm-hmm. Cochran. Yeah, and, uh, and um, oh, crikey, his name's Dwayne Eddie. He was another one. I just loved yeah. the kind of Dwayne Eddie twang that he could get and all that kind of stuff. And, and then, the, then, then the more sustained kind of things, like the Beano album, Clapton and uh, John Mayle, oh, that yeah. just kind of blew me away with that Les Paul. And uh, it's, it's funny, Clapton didn't really blow me away after that album, but it was... That one was a, a big shocker. And then Kossoff was a natural kind of, oh, shit, Kossoff's still doing that kind of vibe. Right, yeah. And so we just listened. We, we got access to those records in the early 70s through babysitters or aunties or parents and stuff like that. And then, yeah. So we, we were too young to see it first off. So we, we were late on parade, but but we'd sit in our bedroom and uh, it, it was a bit, bit uh, Belfast was a bit of a war zone back then. So right. we didn't really want to hang about streets because you'd you know, get caught up in stuff even if you weren't caught up in a bomb or shot you'd be caught up in a bad crowd that would want to go and shoot someone or and, and that would be your way of life so we mm-hmm. hid in the bedrooms and we played guitars and this was our way out of uh way out of the war really and then the uh the people we could go and see were maybe once or twice a year and it'd be rory gallagher and a band called horse lips which were a, a folk rock band with a long-haired guitar player with a Les Paul with a great tone. So he almost played the blues over the top of folk rock. And it was great. So they, they were our kind of early heroes that we could see live physically. And, uh, you know, not until I moved to England in 85 or 86 would I be able to sort of get 
the experience that everybody else in the world had been privy to, like in America and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, so that was all just just bedroom stuff and have our own little bands at the school disco and stuff. We'd have a 30-minute slot, you know, so we'd get to cut our chops live, you know, and do a bit of Chuck Berry at the end. We'd always finish off the show with Johnny Be Good, which I think everybody did around the world at that time. <laughs> nice. In fact, to, to this to this day, we, we sort of, uh, at the end of our shows, we kind of, uh, we don't we do not do uh, Johnny Be Good, Chuck Berry, but we, we used to throw in Led Zeppelin's rock and roll because we don't do any Led Zeppelin in the show because of that always getting linked to it. So if it's been a great crowd and a great show, we'll throw that in as an encore for a bit of fun. I call oh. it our Johnny Be Good. But not, it's Led Zeppelin's rock and roll, but it's our. It's, it's that thank you at the end of the night, let's go mad to the audience. But we had to calm that down because YouTube came out and everybody just filmed that. Oh, so, yeah. Right. So all you see on YouTube all of a sudden was Deborah Bonham, rock and roll, Deborah Bonham, rock oh. and roll, Deborah Bonham. We were going, oh, no. Like, no. Yeah, instead of our other songs. So, so, it, so that they asked their own lazy audience, really, didn't they? Yes. Like, instantly, so, I just said, so, okay, we can't do that, you know. Which is a bit like some of those articles that just focus on the John Bonham things. You think, oh, right, yeah. Well, it, it, look, yeah. my earliest memory, in fact, I just was on a show called The Hook Rocks. He's a guy out of Chicago who does great stuff. And, and he's we're both part of this uh, Pantheon podcast network of about 100 great podcasters who are all about music, not just rock and roll, but uh, but. Lots of great stuff. Pamela DeBar's got her Pajama Party podcast on there. He was talking about my origins. I'm like, the earliest rock and roll memory I have is my dad coming home from work in the 70s. And he wasn't in a bad mood. He was, like, happy to be home that night. And he put on his old records from, like, the 50s and 60s. And I distinctly remember playing Johnny B. Good by Chuck Berry, me taking the pillow off the couch and beating it like a drum. I was about four yeah. years old, and that's what put the rock and roll into my DNA. And since then, I don't know if it's been uphill or downhill, but it's been it's been a part of me ever since. <laughs> I'll yeah. tell you another, another one, which I still to this day love, is Bill Haley's Rock Around the Clock. The guitar, yep, he played that that night too. The guitar solo in that thing. You know, it's like you, you got to have that. You got to have that in your DNA. So you got, you know, somebody's just going to pull that out of the bag. So I'm like, you go, hey. In fact, we did well to name drop. We did a little uh, private funk, uh, party thing with uh, Robert Plant, and he used our band as Debbie's band as, as the backing band. And he was just shouting out tunes, and he's like, and he was quite amazed. So they, uh, we, we're a little bit younger than Robert, but he's just he's just throwing out these rock and roll tunes because he likes his rock and roll. Yeah. And we were bang, we straight in them straight in. And he's, you could see him singing. He turned around. And, <laughs> I think he was trying to catch us out, but we were like, you know, shivers down my backbone. We were in. We were. In, we caught him in all of them. It was like, was like afterwards, oh. <laughs> well done. Yeah, well done. So, and then eventually you guys meet, of course, have a musical kinship, and then you start to make a couple records together, right? I mean, Old Hyde is one I think you like very much, Deborah. That was about two thousand four. It's twenty years after. Kind of your first record. I know you did some stuff in Japan and stuff like that. And then Duchess, which, I mean, I think you're using the same band that you are now. Like, you know, all, all those guys. Uh, was it Gerard and, and Richard? And I don't want to, Ian, I don't want to leave anybody out. But it seems like you guys are, are pretty tight. And, and you've been doing this for a while now, you know. So was it that experience of, all right, we did some great originals. But now let's let's de- dive deep into kind of what got us here. I mean, was that kind of the impetus between on this? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yes. 
I think without a doubt it was. And, and it had always been in the back of our minds because of that conversation back in 97, you know. I always fancied doing it, but just never thought that I or the band, we were ready, you know. And then after the band, uh, Paul Rogers picked the band to, to back him as well. And we, we did, and I opened up for them. We, we did a UK free spirit tour mm-hmm. in 2017. And I mean, just about every guitarist wanted that gig. And Paul picked Pete because of his tone with, and you know, it reminded him a bit of Kossoff, but, you know, he, he just could, it was Pete he wanted, really, wasn't I, it? I, I think, I mean, obviously, I'm incredibly flattered by this, but, he, but Paul, Paul never told me what to do or anything. He just went, and hey, I've heard other stories about, you know, when he's had bands and stuff and his input. He kind of picked our band and told us the songs he'd like to do and uh, left us to go and rehearse them and then he came in for the last couple of days of he never told any of us what to do he never said I want you to play it like this he just had this absolute faith of he wanted a band to interact like a band he wanted to be part of a band yeah, yeah. so he had enough faith in us to know that what we brought to the table was going to be and in some of the articles and stuff he's written that he, uh, he I, I like the term he, he used to describe me he said I, said I had the vulnerability of Kosov didn't say I was as yeah, there's no, no big, but but I don't know. Some people might think that that's a strange term to use, but I I kind of identify with that. The, the vulnerability. It's like sometimes I can go off on one and get lost, and it's <laughs> great. Or, so that so from from that, and then um, we took it to the US, and we did the, the 2008 Stars Align tour with Jeff Beck and Ann Wilson, and Quarter Valley Records, who had done the put out uh, a live at the Albert Hall from the 2017 shows with Paul, okay, and the band. They came to uh, Los Angeles Los Angeles show and the Nashville show, and said, you know, we want to do something <laughs> with you. It was I was absolutely you know, this is fantastic because at this stage in our career, I didn't think that that was really going to happen. And then when that happened, and of course the band were really playing great, I just thought this needs to be a whole new project. It needs to be a band project. Um, we need, you know, it's always been the Deborah Bonham band. And it really, it's all of us, you know, because we've been together for so long and it's a live, it's an absolute ass-kicking band. I mean, they're, they're a phenomenal band. Yeah, it is. Really. They're, they're just fantastic. And it's an absolute pleasure to be on that stage and sing with them, you know, which was what Paul found. And I said, we really got to do it. You know, it's got to be a band project, this. And that's when the idea of doing, you know, these covers, but our interpretations of them. And not just, my only criteria was, listen, I'm not going to go down the total standards road. I don't want it all, right? you know, all the songs that everybody's done to death and everybody knows, you know, I don't want to do that because they have been done to death, you know, and I just, and that's great, you know, but I just wanted to take it somewhere different. So a couple of those but some classics, a couple of classics, and some obscure as well, and contemporary as well. So that's where the idea sort of came from, wasn't it? How we, yeah. how we got to and, this place, you know. And, and also, like you said, all those songs, it's all about what's influenced us through all those years. You're absolutely on the money there. That's incredible because no one else has mentioned that. And it really is that, you know, because you – you don't just hear the blues in this album. You can hear all the other things that have influenced us. You sure. know, 
So, yeah, you're absolutely right. So it just felt right. It was the right time to do it, wasn't it? Yeah. And uh, because uh, Deborah was producing it, she kind of knew what to pick uh, that the band could handle, you know, or, yeah. or, or what we would. Uh, There's about 100 songs it started off with from lots of friends suggesting stuff and everything. And it whittled down to 13. I think it whittled down to 13. And we thought, if we record 13, we'll do the 11 best on the album. You know, thinking there'll be two we'll be unhappy with that we'll toss those up. Sure, or but, besides, uh, whatever. Yeah, yeah, we kept all 13 because be, we can kind of, it's hard to have a favourite. It'll be a different favourite each week. So <laughs> it's, um, yeah, yeah and, and, and it was just because, and we probably spent more time on this than we would have done on writing our own songs, funny enough, because you'd think this would be a quicker project, a faster project than writing your own songs. Oh, it, yeah. was, it was the entire yeah. opposite because cause we had to make the songs so different to the original which well is... we didn't I mean it wasn't that we had to make it I mean it was organic really it wasn't a forced issue it was just like look we need to think outside <laughs> the box here I'd already got the cogs going because when I was listening and picking the songs I was already thinking yeah I can hear where they'll go we can take this so it was already that sort of natural thing that we brought us to it rather than just doing a straight copy which you can't do, you know. You, you, no we, didn't, we didn't want. Yeah, no. no. we wanted to do something different, and um, I think what some things we, we've sort of, sort of said about is that what, what Joe Cocker did to uh, Ringo Stars. Well, that, was rather, friends, that was rather phenomenal. Or what? Uh, <laughs> now we're shooting a bit high. On yeah, that, no, but, but we kept that in. That was, you know, that was what That's we were looking at, you know. Or, or more recently, what the Georgia Satellites did to one of Ringo Starr's songs, Don't Pass Me By. That was like, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, we 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 did sort of, that was there. Like, we you, we need to think outside the box. And yeah, it was a challenge. It was a massive challenge. Took us out of our comfort zone, because when you write your own stuff, you pretty much know where it's going to go from the get-go. Sure. So it was. It was a massive challenge, and we were right out of the comfort zone. But it was great at this stage in our career to get stretched like that. Suddenly became exciting. And now we're playing it on on on, on stage. It's it's bloody great, you know. It's all of a sudden we've got this complete new energy and new yeah. life because I think of these new about, songs. I think you we've know. got about six of them we're doing live at the moment. Yeah, not yeah, yeah. yeah. Are you are you we're rehearsing just, right now? Because you've got to play later this month, don't you? Yeah, we start we start rehearsals again next week, and uh, so uh, so we'll probably maybe squeeze in another couple, maybe. We'll maybe have eight out of the 13. On the, yeah, uh, it's just such good fun. It's great fun. And it's a great fun band, you know. I mean, we do have such a laugh. I always say to everybody, you know, if you're not enjoying it on that stage, why the hell would anybody watching you enjoy it, you know? Right. So we we really do love what, we, what we're doing. And I think these songs have... have, have, have brought that a bit it's given us this whole new this new uh, way of looking at things so and it, yeah. each, each player after the after the production where maybe De- deborah had input into what everybody's playing and stuff but once uh, after the production and the recorded version once we're out there live everybody's entrusted with their own kind of yeah. free reign and interpretation to you know i didn't the, really t- i didn't tell you what to play i just let you i just know how to get the best out of you you all okay you tell all us what do- not to play Sure. <laughs> I just had a big electric cow prod. <laughs> Don't play that. So that no, brings up a question that Jackson had. It's like, what are the benefits and challenges of being a married couple in a touring band? 
Uh, the, the, the benefits are. I'm gonna let um, him say this. Yeah, yeah the benefits are. I, I've had. Uh, I've sort of. I haven't been to the clap clinic in thirty years. <laughs> that's a good benefit, my friend. Yes, yeah. that's a positive. Oh. Even though the test is negative, that's a positive for you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got to pay a fortune for somebody else's negative test. Though. Dear, oh, yes. oh dear. <laughs> what is the benefit? We're both very, very lucky. We, I mean, we met. 30 years, 31 years ago, instantly from that day, we've been together. <laughs> Stop it. We've been, <coughs> we've been together. I'm still in the clap for Pretty day. much. And it'll be a different type of clap you'll get in a minute. Yeah. Slap. We've been together ever since, sort of 24-7, and that's a, that's a long time. You know. That but tells you something. I think what's got us through is that we both have immense mutual respect for what we do. Him as a guitarist, me as a singer. So when all else fails and, and there's a massive row and I've moved to another hotel and all of that sort of stuff goes on and that'll be over something ridiculous, you know, right. <laughs> nothing to do with music. It's the music that keeps us back together. And we, we actually do love each other, don't we? Yes. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Look, you've got a little fear in your eye. No, I think that was so sweet. <laughs> but we do, you know, we've got massive respect for each other musically, and, and that's what does it, you know, if all else fails. And it, it pretty much doesn't because we, I mean, we've got different... Are you still answering that one? Yeah, I've got myself in a rabbit hole. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll shut up. Hi, this is Christy Alexander Hallberg, author of the novel Searching for Jimmy Page, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Well, we'll, we'll come back to the album because there's some tracks that I just stand out to me and I want to ask you a little bit about, but I want to go back to the Stars Line tour because... I did see you guys on that tour in 2018. I had always wanted to see Paul, and they said, Stars Align Tour. And I'd seen Jeff a couple times, so I'm like, yeah, okay, who else is there? Ann Wilson, okay, I'll see you. Deborah Bonham. Oh, cool, I've never seen Deborah Bonham before. So I go to see in Cincinnati in Riverfront, the amphitheater down there by the river. I'm from Louisville, uh, Louisville, Kentucky, which is maybe an hour and a half away. And, of course, getting through that parking lot, it's massive, and I was trying oh, to come no. on, getting my wife, come on, honey, we got to go, we got to go. And so I didn't come in until, I think it was No Angel. I think it was the last song you did. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, okay, great. They're doing the song. Okay, cool. And it was over. He's like, thanks. We'll see you later. I just got here. Damn it. I missed who I wanted to see, you know. But I guess I did get to see you, Pete, later with, with Paul, which was a fun, it was a great day overall. But, I mean, can you tell me any good, like, stories or just funny happenstances from that, that tour that maybe you can share with our audience a little bit? Let's see, the clean ones without swearing and all that kind of... There was that, no, there was, ah, well, there was one moment where uh, the behind the scenes was uh, all the crew of each band, because they'd have quite a quick turnover and, uh, you know, between right. the, the band. So, and every, everybody communicated brilliantly and got on really well. Out of all those three crews, it's, it's, I don't know, probably, let's say 35 people in total, maybe 40 people. There was only one complete arsehole in the whole lot, which is right. quite amazing. Uh, it shall remain nameless, but uh, <coughs> any of our crew listening to this will know exactly who I'm on about. But um, Peter the, Bullitt, uh, what goes on tour stays on tour. Well, it is, yeah. <laughs> One of the great things was that the uh, when I started off on the tour in Utah, the first night of the, the first show, the amps that I had ordered didn't arrive from England. So I had a couple of marshals 
fighting. Now, marshals are, are kind of the ultimate tone and everything, but to get a marshal to work really nicely, it's got to be cranked really loud. And on a stage with, with Paul, who wasn't wearing monitors, he wanted to hear the monitors, he wanted to hear the stage. Okay. Two marshals cranked up, too loud on stage, you know, for, for a mix. So I had to turn them down a bit, which at the cost of some tone. Gotcha. Uh, anyway, Jeff Beck's guitar tech saw me struggle with the sound and all that kind of thing. So he, Scully. Scully, yeah. Gotta give him a name check. Oh, yeah. Scully's good. Such a lovely guy. And what, and what happened was Jeff had joined the tour from uh, a European tour, and on that European tour, there was a, a drum tech called Yard Gav- Gavrilovich, and he couldn't come and do the American side. Now, Yard Gavrilovich had helped us with the John Bonner Memorial statue a year or two before or something. So we knew Yard, and we'd had been to parties together, uh, the whole, <clears throat> as he was part of our little team. So whenever we got to America, Scully came up with Jeff's guitar tech, who actually used to be Russia's guitar tech. He was he looked after Getty and Alex. Oh wow! So his, story, his stories were great, and of course they're all bands that I loved and stuff. So he came, he came up and he says, "Hey, you Pete, uh, Yard told me I got to look after you." <laughs> so I've just been touring Europe with Yard. He said, "Look out for me, Pete." I'm, oh shit! Is it? What's your problem? Well, well you know, in my amps, I, I use the amps called Victory or Comfort over in the UK and Europe and stuff. Okay. It's your handmade by a chap, Paul Colford, and uh, uh, Vickers make these these things. And they, so I didn't have this. I had to use Marshall. So he said, well, what uh, what Getty and uh, Alex use out in America is this rock crusher thing. So crank your um, amps up through this. And uh, I'll see I'll see if we can get one for the next show, which was heading down West Coast. And he got on the, the phone to them, and they didn't have any at the factory. So they, they sent the, the team in that night and made me one overnight. And hand delivered it to the show. Wow! So I had this thing. So I had two marshals and two orange amps going through this sort of full blast, and then so it sucks all the power out. Right? So you're getting the amps driven, but then the volume they then control the volume that goes to the speakers. So that's what. So you could really get great tone like you're blasting the dish. So we got on the other side of that was a few nights later. Jeff didn't do a sound check in the afternoon, so Scully comes up and he says, "Oh, Pete, you couldn't do me a favor. I, I've had to repair." I had to get Jeff's favourite amp repaired, and it's now back, but he's not sign-checking today. Could you check it for me? So I went, yeah, sure. So I'm in this amphitheatre all up in there with Jeff Beck's, he puts Jeff Beck's guitar on me, you know, cranks me through Jeff's rig and says, oh. okay, Pete, go, at concert volume. So <laughs> this is about, I don't know, four o'clock in the afternoon. And I was thinking, I haven't played any Jeff Beck songs since I was a kid, you know. I, I used to have a go with, you know, Beck's Bolero, you know, every, sure. every guitar song. And another solo that I love was the solo that Jeff did on uh, People Get Ready with Rod Stewart, you know. Huge one. So I, and I used to know that. So. But when you haven't played it for 25 years or 30 years, and you're in an amphitheater at full volume, you sort of fumble on the net, you sort of try and find the bit a bit, so you're not straight there. So, <laughs> <laughs> I was doing that at full volume. I just realized there are about 10,000 people outside <laughs> queuing to see Jeff Beck. <laughs> and they're hearing Jeff Beck guitar solos played really badly. It was the quickest return of tickets. Can we have and our I, money back? I just got this. And I started thinking about 10,000 people out there going, oh, shit, Jeff's let himself go. A bit. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll not. <laughs> oh, man, that's good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great story thanks for sharing that yeah uh and and you all were great that night i mean it, the rain came down about the second song so everyone on the fringe is kind of pushed into the middle and think paul said oh what a great crowd i'm like well they're actually just trying to stay 
dry, Paul. But yeah, no, they're excited to see you, and you guys are doing great. I remember that. I remember. Yeah, no, no firm songs. No, all the king's horses. I was a little disappointed, but I know that the between free and bad company, there's a lot to get through there. So I understand. Um, it's going to be all free songs. But he thought, being in America, we should do some bad company. I, I actually think as well that you got in late. Don't um, that actually? I don't think that was your fault because they put the wrong time on the ticket. So um, we had to really get onto them about that because we were going on half an hour before the ticket time. So that was what the problem was. So um, yeah, we had to get onto them and say, guys, you know, <laughs> it would help if the right time was on the ticket. You know, <laughs> yeah. So fans can come see us so, and not miss us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I had, a, I had a woman, and I don't know where whether it was there, because I would come out the front with uh, the guitarist I was working with, Ian Hatton. He, Ian has been an old friend of mine since we were in our teens. We grew up at the same, in the same place in the UK, and he's still a great friend now, you know, I'm seeing him next week. So he's a um, great guy, and he played, he was in a band with me in the early 80s, but he went on to play with Jason Bonham in Bonham, and they had quite a... a, a Quite a big selling album, actually. Their first album came out. It was big in the States, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he, um, we've been such great friends, and he just interpreted what I needed to do because it was a big thing with my band playing with Paul and me being incredibly vulnerable, you know, just on the stage. And and when I told Ian about this, I said, listen, it's just going to be me and you. We're doing these type of shows. And he went, oh, my good grief. You're kidding me. You know, we're just going to walk out. I said, we'll, we'll be fine. It'll be fine. <laughs> and it was. It was brilliant. It was really good. But I think at the show that you're talking about, after that, it got changed on the ticket times because there was people. I, I went out the front uh, to watch uh, the guys, which I did every night so that, you know, the next day we could tighten some things up or whatever. So I was still sort of working with them really sure. um, and what worked and all of that sort of stuff. But I got mocked by the, the, this woman and a few other people. She was crying her eyes out saying she was so mad that she'd missed it. Like you, she'd walked in on the last bit and there was a queue of people saying the same thing. They were all getting uptight and uh, she started crying. She said, I've waited a long time to see you, you know, and she said, this is, I've come all this way and, I'm, and she got really upset. So I said, oh. listen, best thing you can do is all email the promoter and just say, get the ticket time changed. So from that day, it got changed. Well, and hopefully she could hear you a little later this year in America, because I know you yeah, want to get back I to the States so, yeah. to tour this record. Mm-hmm. I want to be respectful of your time here. So I, I've got to talk to you about some of these amazing tracks on the album. Yeah. And I think you kick it off. We talk a lot about sequencing. You know, you have to start off with a strong track. You want to finish in a certain way. Mm-hmm. You know, you, from the first track, you need to go up, but don't blow it out. Then you got to, you know, smooth it out a little bit and see you again is an amazing song. Of course, we're big Stones fans here on The Wolf. Uh, and it's a, it's a Bernard Fowler song here. It's, yeah. it's, it's lamentful, you know, for you, Deborah, but I think it's got some real clean great tone and clean guitar work from you, Peter. I mean, this is just like, you're meant to sing the blues and this is a great showcase. Great way to start the album. Yeah. I, it just, I mean, I'm used to doing the set lists and so, and, and exactly what you're saying, it, you know, when you play live, you've got to have, it, it has to balance. You can't, the songs have to go uh, merge into one another and, but be different enough and take you up and then bring you back a bit. You can't have everything at high octane all the way through. So you've got to move it. So not since we gave up the gear. 
<laughs> like, right. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> You're not a punk <laughs> band after all, right? <laughs> That's it. So I'm used to doing the, um, the, the set list. So the sequencing for me, um, it, it wasn't uh, an issue. You know, I just sort of played around with them and, and sort of found how each one, you know, went into the other and how I felt then as a whole listening to the album, whether it took me on the journey I wanted it to do. But we started with Bernard's song. I mean, firstly, yeah, Bernard Fowler, he's just, I mean, what a great singer-songwriter in his own right. You know, I know that yeah, everybody knows him for the, the Stones mainly, but that Burra album is just fantastic that See You Again was on. So, and I loved the track from the get-go. So it was how to how to bring us to it. And it sort of just naturally happened. And from the intro bit... I heard, I, a, great, I, I heard a great review of that. And I like this review of the, that we got of See You Again, where they thought the intro was a bit reminiscent of uh, Whiskey in the Jar. Oh, Eric Lizzie, Bell. Yeah, yeah, they said it had a kind of a Celtic feel intro to it. Well, just, Obviously not note for note, but the, the vibe it created, mm-hmm. which, which I didn't intend to do. But when I read this, I went... Oh, that's, that's but can, can you remember what it, we we had the intro bit on Bernard's version? It is who is it? Was it, was it Ravi Shankner on? Uh, I can't remember who it was um, on, on 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 the instrument at the beginning of Bernard's song. But I said we can't we can't do that. We can't use violin. We can't do. <clears throat> we can't. You know, we need something else. And Pete just started playing and just doing. And I went, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Just run with that. And he he just did it you know it was brilliant I just went well for me it was a bit more Gilmorey actually I, I, yeah I, I just I, I loved it and so and then that was like bang and we opened the set now with that live oh good because he can just stand there with a light on him and just play those notes and instantly everybody is wow what's happening in the old days I would have stood there while the intro was happening and I would have rolled a sort of jazz woodbine or something there. Yeah. just sort of rolled this and I would, would you and they is, go, is this in your dreams? Do you have these little dreams? It's like if I was Louis Stewart, who's a great Irish jazz guitarist. He used to sit and do that. He'd be sitting down and he'd play these wonderful guitars. It was these, this sort of uh, improvisational jazz stuff. And then then he would sit there, it would come to the, the uh, drummer would point to Louis to do his guitar, but he'd, he'd look at him and he'd just go, Yeah, okay. One You'll know when they're that late. Yeah, then he'd put the, the cigarette down and he'd pick up his whiskey and he'd go... You're nowhere near that laid back. Then he'd play a couple of licks on the guitar. You've got quite Then, a then he'd pick up his pint of Guinness that was sitting beside the whiskey. You go, My favourite, yes. Put that down. And then off he'd go, another bunch of licks. And you're just like, man, this is so cool. We were like, I don't know, you, 14 years old, 15 years old in the bar watching this guy go... I think you're far more angst. You, you, you've got more edge. So that... Yeah. That uh, you you wouldn't be able to play that like that. It's, well, you it's, wail it's at the end of this one, right? I mean, at the end of this, yeah, you're, you're, you're you're playing. You know, you're not just sitting down playing on this one. Right? No, no. <laughs> I mean, he has these little dreams about himself. It's just I think he still thinks he's uh, still think you're like 22, don't you? Actually, that's the other thing that goes on in your little dream. <laughs> but I am 22. I'm just 22 backwards. And you use. Oh no, hang on, that's the same, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> And he's usually with Pamela Anderson as well. Little... Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a more modern day equivalent, but uh, it shows my age. That's no, right. actually, it was Raquel Welsh, wasn't it? Raquel Welsh. Yeah. Oh. Hey guys, this is 
Chris from My Rock and Roll Heaven, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. All right, well, let's talk about the single, you know, yeah. Can't You See What You're Doing to Me, an old Albert King classic. And to me, this is classic blues, like an AAB blues, but it's rocking. You know, it's not a down, dirty, low-down blues. It's 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 up, you know, and with some, some sick guitar from you, Mr. Bullock, but would you have a guest in yeah. on the, the Hammond organ, which really added some nice flavor to it? Yeah, yeah, that's Paul Brown from, uh, he's in the Water Boys now, but he, he, we knew him from the days of Ann Peebles and Bobby Rush, and uh, I don't know if you've heard of Bobby Rush out in the States. Oh, he's, he's amazing. Fantastic yeah. blues old singer, but he's, yeah. he's also got a lot of humor about him as well. So he's he's not he's he's a very very funny guy, very entertaining. And Paul Brown was like an absolute mad hammer player. It was player. crazy watching them because you know with Anne and all of her band, they're all Anne these Peebles. Anne Peebles. They're all these fantastic black soul players. You know, Bobby Rush, same blues, black soul. You know, incredible. And you have Paul Brown there, who um, was in Europe. For a while, you know the the eighties rock band. No, he, Survivor. Survivor, sorry, Survivor, not Europe. Yeah, he was in Survivor, and he's got all this blonde, you know, red, red blonde hair, white white skin, white white skin, but all this hair, and he dresses in real seventies pimp clothes. You nice. know, so he's got the the white suit with the flares. The the big heels, you know, he's got his he's got his patchouli he oil on, he you bought, know. He bought these suits off genuine old guys, yeah. like te- Teeny Hodges and people like yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. He bought their old stage clothes off. Yeah. And so there he is you with can, these guys. And playing with these guys says, hey, man, you don't have to be getting rid of any of your wardrobe. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a crazy... So he's, he's got all their clothes. He's a real... You know, to That's coin great. an expression, a crazy cat on it. You know, he's just he, he just goes. I, I've just never heard anybody play like that. You know, he's just really out there, and um, he's such a good friend. And again, it was organic because the guys did it. G. Jared Lewis is playing some fantastic piano, and I said, you know what, we need Paul on this. We so need Paul. And rang him up. He's going, man. Awesome! He's so so beautiful. He's a beautiful soul. He really is. He does a lot of work with Music Cares and paying it forward and all that. We had another couple of guys on there as well uh, on keyboards from Porter's Head. Not on that track. No, not on that track. On on the other tracks, John Baggett and stuff like that. We'll we'll get to that. Okay, okay. Well, (laughs) we might not get to if you, if you talk this much about that one song. Okay. <laughs> right, well, then let's let's move to the next track because, look, Bleeding Money Water really stands out to me. Uh, and this yeah, is more of a low-down, dirty blues. And you hear it say, okay, well, is that is that Howlin' Wolf? You know, is that, you know, John Lee Hooker? Is that Robert Johnson? Like, no, that's Mark Lanigan, you know, and, and that yeah. would throw a lot of people off. The bass in this one is really great, too. Not to yeah. mention what you two are doing, but this was such a standout to me. And you could stretch this one out. Did, did you know Mark? I mean, we just lost Mark as we're recording this maybe six weeks ago. Did you know him? Yeah. And, and what, what was it that caused you to choose to choose this one? No. We, uh, we, 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 did. we didn't really know. No, we didn't, we, we didn't but, know him. We, knew, oh, right, we, well, knew no, we didn't, him. definitely didn't know him, but no. we, we knew of him. That, that came via, was that via... Gary suggested Yeah, that. well, I mean, I knew Mark, you know, I knew of Mark. Obviously, we knew Dublin Trees and stuff like that. So, so this, the, yeah. the, the, the track was one of the ones suggested. We went, shit, this sounds like he, really It was a friend mad. of her. 
friend of mine, a friend of ours, who was helping us over in um, Princeton, New Jersey. And um, we, we talked about Mark Lanigan and I, he sent me the, um, the Blues Funeral album. And, you know, I was just blown away with, by him. And I just thought that this is a track I really want to do. So it sort of got parked there in my brain that that, that one's one that we, we really should do. And again, it's not like an obvious blues song to a blues audience or anything like and that. He, we, we could like take this from I think uh, Mark, side and I think Mark was some... pretty much underrated as a, as a singer songwriter in his own right. You know, I think he was some of the stuff that I, I I've heard him do is just fantastic. And then he, he started to work with John Paul Jones as well. So I didn't he's, know that. he's yeah, he did a the, the album I think just before he passed. Well, the, the last one before he passed away had uh, some input with John Paul Jones. So an amazing singer-songwriter. And from listening, as soon as I heard Bleeding Muddy Water, I just knew that's something we, we could definitely do. And so when it was time to do it, it was great. It was one that just naturally came. We just started doing it. And then I just felt like it needed it needed a little something in it. And I could hear a piano part. So I said to G, you know, I hear this little this little thing going through it. And it wasn't until it was all done and I sat back and listened to the whole thing, I thought, wow, this sounds great. But you know what? It doesn't often remind me of No Quarter in Le- of Led Zeppelin. I don't know why. It just I could feel a bit of No Quarter going on. I think it was the piano bit. And I didn't know at that point that John Paul Jones was working with Mark. So it was bizarre that I sort of felt it in the, in the track. But, yeah, I absolutely loved that track. And it live, it's just kicking. Yeah, it's one of the live ones. It's really amazing to do that. And I just wanted to have sent it. I would have loved to have sent it to him. That was the plan. We were going to send it to him and and just to sort of say, listen, you know, we think you're incredible and we wanted to, we've done this version and I hope you, you you know, we've tried to pay as much respect to you, hope you love it. And then you passed away. Because that's the thing with the songs. A lot of time spent mainly to show absolute yeah, respect for these writers and singers that we admire that have done the songs originally. So, yeah, you know, we don't want to come in and think that we can, oh, oh, you've done that. Oh, I'll do it like this. And yeah. it's a, and no. So, so we, we and, and, you know, we, we kind of liked what we did as well. So we wanted them to, so we, we shared it amongst some of the people. And the, the Chris Wilson track, the last one, which you'll probably talk about. The change. We, we haven't got to that. Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we sent it to his widow. He, he died a We're few years ago. We're not talking about that one. I know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we got lo- lovely messages from her. She was absolutely touched. The whole family were touched yeah. by, that, by that. Well, I'm sure Mark would have been proud of what you did. It, it's amazing. It is haunting a little bit like No Quarter. I, I hear that now that you mentioned that. Uh, yeah. But it, it, it fit in with all these blues songs that were 100 years old. Well, some of them are 100 or 80 yeah, years old. And And you would have thought the uninitiated like okay well that's an old time blues that they just kind of put together it's it's a little bit more modern there uh so no good on you there and then trouble blues here's another low down dirty hellhounds on my trail you know kind of a song that i guess i heard the sam cook version growing up but i guess um charles brown who ray charles had to cover a lot back in his day coming up that's one of his old tunes from like the 40s yeah 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 i grew up listening to exactly the same as you listening to sam cook doing it and i've always loved it and i i really it was one of those moments where i did think what the heck have i done you know because sam cook i absolutely love sam cook i love uh, ray charles you know no no doubt about that but i thought 
what have I done, you know, to, to, to do a Ray Charles song? But I love the song so much. When we went in the studio, we started to do it, and I was like, no, 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 this isn't working because it was we were going too much down the same tempo or, you know. It's like if, if, if you didn't have the right ideas at the start, you had a default mechanism where you just played the song like it had already been done. Gotcha. It just, Which, it, of course, is no good. So. No, because, you know. So we, we do it like it had been done. We go, well, that, that was great, but no. No, no. <laughs> and so I'm sort of stood there going, uh, no, this isn't working. It's not, not how I've envisaged it. I don't know how I envisage it yet, but I'll, it will get to me in a minute. And I just went, do you know what? Let's just stop. Just give me a, a straight drum, straight drums in, in much slower time. Just straight 4-4 four, four drum, really slow. And that's all. And none of you guys play. And I'm going to sing. And I just sang a cappella over it. And we were there. It was like, that is it. That's it. That is it. And then we just started to build it a bit. Pete put some of the guitar, fantastic guitar around it. Oh, you're you know, bending some strings some... at the end of this one, Mr. Bullock. Yeah. yeah was, it's, uh... it's fantastic. I don't know. I guess, I guess listen to it. Not, well, we sat, we sat by the... Oh, here's, here's a good name drop. We, thought, we sat by the, uh, the the River Severn in the Black Country in the Midlands of England in a little uh, riverside cabin uh, playing at full blast out the back with uh, Robert Plant listening to it and uh, came to that solo and he just looked at me after, after it was dead quiet, he just looked at me up and touched Peter Green there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Very Which, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. Thank God he said it was just a touch of Peter Green and not completely Peter Green, but you know. So. No, it sounded great. And it, yeah, it was a whole different reworking, but it just came from that sort of let's just stop, let's, just let's, let's do the drums, let's just get something going with the drums. And that's where it came. And it, it sort of had that, it went right back into that blues by just having a straight drum beat. It was, it made it very dark. Whereas I think when Sam, cook did it it was a lot more light it was as in the production and the the arrangement was a lot lighter and faster um but this went into that very dark mississippi sort of vibe yes. for me and i thought that'll do it that'll do it i think i'm just think, thinking now after when i think of the sound on that all the, the the space echoes and stuff on the guitar it's very albatross wasn't it with that kind of the old fleetwood max sound the haunting guitar and stuff mm. maybe that's where that I want to be respectful of your all's time because I just have a couple more questions. I do want to praise you a lot on this When the World Comes to an End song. Seems like it's a gospel song a yeah. bit to me, but you're throttling a lot here, Deborah. You're, 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 you're holding back and then you're revving up your voice to really hit some of this stuff and then you're pulling back a little bit here and there. Uh, is this one you're going to be able to recreate live? Because this has got some amazing singing on it. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'd love to have a go. I mean, the only issue, we've, we've got to find the parts that will work live because I did layer this a bit, you know. I, I put in some extra stuff just to build it up and got the guys to do quite a few parts. So I think live we're going to have to find, a, a, you know. A few a, percussion a, bits in there and I think yeah. there's a mandolin there's a in mandolin, there as well. But we can, we can. We I can thought I heard that. a mandolin, yeah. We've got to just like figure out and, and make the parts so that they work live, you know. But, yeah, no, I love this one. I love this. I, I heard this done by um, – it's an old gospel hymn from way back, way back, way back. And I heard Ashley Cleveland okay. do it. And um, I thought, yeah, I love that. I really love that song. And, uh, again, the lyric, it's a bit sort of um, – poignant right now with all the crap going on in the world but uh yeah Absolutely. It's, a, it's a great song it's it, it, it's it's all about the gospel and uh, you know 
uh, while we were in uh, on the Stars Aligned, no, it wasn't Stars Aligned. We we went back to the States in 2019 and did a few shows on the East Coast, like in New York, the Cutting Room, Daryl Hall's place, Levon Helm's place up in Woodstock. And oh yeah, yeah. Woodstock ship. Mm-hmm. Woodstock. And nice, um, very good. Uh, I, there was a really old 1930s theater, cinema theater, and they were showing Amazing Grace, Aretha Franklin's film where she's in the church singing. And I just sat there in this little theatre. I can't remember the place that it was. It was a great little place, but it was a, a real old, old cinema. Very small, still got all the stars of the silver screen up on the on the wall, you know, fantastic. And I just watched her deliver this incredible vocal of these gospel songs. And I love gospel, you know, I love all of that. So that sort of helped, that, that inspired it a bit because... We hadn't done the album then, so when I came back, I had an eye on Ashley Cleveland's uh, version and, and a bit of Aretha Franklin going on and that whole gospel thing. So, yeah, yeah, it was great. Well, that's great. That's great. And then I feel like that when it don't come easy, this is like the weary road blues song. This is like, you know, when are we going to get home again? You know, that, that everyone, especially artists like yourself, like when you're on that midnight train or the bus it's like when are we going to get home again but i think gerard has a good chance to kind of show off a little yeah. bit uh, on this yeah. track yeah he played some beautiful piano on that i mean the whole thing the song it's a patty griffin song uh, it, this was suggested to me by by robert plant because of course he played robert, with mm-hmm. i've seen them play together yeah yeah so he said have a listen to i mean patty's an amazing songwriter well Ma- marco giovino would have been on drums then when you saw them and he's on drums on yeah. our album so. uh, on, on a few of the tracks yeah he ah, is yeah. not on this one he, he was in the band the joy that was Patty yes okay mm-hmm. but this was on this track it's rich it's richard but it yeah we took the track it's a very different version but it just screamed out that sort of three three four time blues thing to me so and again a little bit gospel as well you know we've got a bit of um, fantastic hammond on there as well again that's john baggett from portishead and massive attack and again robert plant's sensational space shifters so yeah it was just such a great and then the lyric and i, I it was a one take this one for me vocally i wow. ne- i nearly screwed it <laughs> nearly screwed it up because peter played this incredible guitar solo G's doing this beautiful piano and it got and the lyric it just resonated and I went to come in and I could feel my voice starting to go you know I got really emotional <laughs> and I kept thinking come on Deb, don't don't screw it up because we've got to do it all again and once once you've got to that point to try and do it again you lose a bit of that you know but Anyway, I got through it. It's great, great song, great song. Well, the whole album was great, uh, and and I uh, am very hopeful to see you doing a bit of it live. And I can't wait to. I've been listening to it. Dave from Tenacity sent it to me. I've been listening to it over and over. But I'm a I'm a physical guy. I can't wait to get the actual one in my hands and put it on the the player. That's just the way I am. So I'm looking forward to that in a big way. Um, about to I want to tell you a quick. What's that? I think they're about to arrive in a few days. The actual first physical copies. I want to awesome. do vinyl. Awesome. Awesome. I'm, I'm trying to persuade the label to. Do vinyl on it because I, I really want to do vinyl. So we'll see. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let me tell you a quick story before I get you to a question that I want to ask. We had a, a writer on recently. Her name's Christy Alexander Hallberg, and she wrote a novel. It's called Searching for Jimmy Page, and it's about a young woman, a teenage woman in the eighties, 
who has to go on a quest to find Jimmy Page. I'm not going to give away too much of the of the story. So she comes to England and she goes to Scotland and Wales and everywhere in between to his homes and all the old Led Zeppelin haunts. And in it, she tells a story of her going to pay homage to John's grave, going up to Redditch to, to, to pay her respects, which is a true story. What is also a true story, which didn't make it into the book, was the day she went, you were there. And you all talked for a while. And she decided not to put that in the book because that even sounds too far-fetched, even for a fiction book, as I went to John Bonham's grave and his sister was there to greet me. But, you know, her older brother, who's about 10 years older than her, is a drummer and got her into rock and roll. And she yeah. said, Deborah was so gracious and that we weren't just talking about Bonzo, this huge rock star. We're talking about our brothers who we loved, who were drummers, who got us into rock music, you know. And I was just hearing her tell the story. I'm like, that is amazing and special time moment for you. But just the sense I get from you in this hour we spent in some of the interviews I've read and seen with you, it's not a unique story that a lot of people want to come share their passion for, for John or for Led Zeppelin, and that you're very gracious about it. It must be hard when you have your own life and your own work that needs to be discussed in Forbes magazine or anywhere else, and they just want to talk about the past, but it seems like you make room for that, for them. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's life-changing, but I feel like it's it's life-affirming for a lot of the people who do that. So is that, who've had the opportunity, so is it something you've, shied away from or that you've grown into or you just realize, hey, these are people who love my brother like I do and they have something to say and giving them some time is a good thing. Pretty much that. I mean, you know, it's it's, it's an absolute part of me, you know, from when I was, he joined Zeppelin when I was six. So it's always been a part of me. My brother's always, you know, he's been there since I was born. He was 14 when I was born and he was my big brother and, and we were close. He was a beautiful, beautiful man, you know, and I, there's not a day goes by that I don't miss him. Same with my other brother, Michael. There was only two years between those two. Michael was mm-hmm. 12 years older than me and he sadly passed away. So, yeah, and they were funny. They were really, really funny guys and, and it, we had some great, great times. So musically, it can be a bit of a double-edged sword. It used to be, not so much now. It was just expectations of people thinking, oh, you know, oh, is she jumping on the bandwagon? Or it would be, oh, I hope she's going to do Led Zeppelin, you know, and I got hounded by various people saying, you know, we, we think it'd be great. We, we've got this idea. We want you and some dancers around you. <laughs> he was sat there. We, he, we were in a band together. Time. They totally dissed him. And it was, and we're going to do Led Zeppelin disco. <laughs> I was like, and he just stood up and went, I'll get me coat then. <laughs> Good work, Pete. Yeah. Oh, you, you know, I mean, really. So some of those. I mean, things, maybe if we'd done it with Nile Rogers or the Bee Gees. Oh, yeah. Now that, that could have been different with Nile Rogers. Absolutely. Anything with Nile Rogers would be great. Sure. Yeah, I, love but, uh, yeah, I wasn't going to do Led Zeppelin, but anyway. But talking about John, talking about Led Zeppelin, you know, they were the biggest single influence on me throughout my life so yeah and 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 so proud of what John achieved and that's why we did the memorial for him this beautiful bronze memorial in Redditch that we teamed up with Teenage Cancer Trust as well because we raised three times the money we needed for the the memorial so Teenage Cancer Trust got a big donation and it set up the John Bonham outreach nurses for across the West Midlands so it's a great legacy for him 
that and it continues to give because people go to the memorial and they t- and there's a lovely little back about teenage cancer trust on the back and people tend to then just go and make a little donation so it's helping to fund nurses take care of kids across the West Midlands, which is great. So, yeah, I mean, this whole thing, um, I, I, I don't mind talking about him. And especially, you know, with that, uh, with that lady, if, she'll know exactly what it is that, that I've gone through losing a brother. Because at the end of the day, it's your brother. It's, you know, he's my nephew's and my niece's dad and my mom's son, my mom and dad's son, and Michael's brother. I mean, it affected us very badly. So keep it, keeping his memory alive is quite wonderful in a lot of ways, you know. And sometimes it, it just suddenly hits me, and I think it, it's still now, you know, I can, it, it'll bring tears to my eyes, and, I, you know, I get a bit maudlin or just missing him, really. But um, if I, you know, sometimes it will just get me. But, no, I'm, I'm happy to, to share stuff because... At the end of the day, he was a very, very special man. So they both were, and both brothers. It's kind of you. And it does keep him keep him alive in our, in our yeah. minds and our hearts and our spirits, you know. You want to tell folks where they can learn about you, whether it's on your website or social media or how to find more or when the album drops? Easiest website is deborahbonham.com. So it's just that spelling of Deborah. It's a D-E-B-O-R-A-H. DeborahBonham.com, and uh, that has little buttons on it that links you to the Facebooks and the YouTubes and all that. But yeah, we're on all there, all those Twitter, and, Twitter and stuff. Yeah. And Quarter Valley Records is the uh, the record company. Records coming out 29th of April, but there is a link to to order it yeah, right now order. so that you actually get it the day it comes out. And the singles out now as well. There's links on there for the single. Well, look, hey, amazing work. And, and best of luck on the tour. I hope uh, that very much that I get to see you. Milton Keynes is not that far. I might run up for that show. We'll see. Where, where, where are you based? Um, uh, I'm in St. John's Wood in London. Oh, yeah. Crikey, that's where I am. Oh, we played like, two weeks ago, like, three weeks ago in London. We were oh, at the park. We were at the park. Powerhouse. Powerhouse yeah. in Camden. Yeah. The old Dingwalls. In Camden, I could have walked. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, you could have walked home with Gerard. He lived in Primrose Hill. <laughs> Thank you kindly. It has been so much fun to talk with you all today. And I feel like we could talk for another couple of hours sometime. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, maybe after your tour, we maybe you want to come back on, we can talk some more. Yeah, I mean. It- I could reserve a spot at the Clifton for us. That, oh, do you know what? That sounds great. Lovely talking to you, Mac. Really, really lovely. And thank you so much for your kind words and uh, having us on your show. It's been brilliant. Yeah, it's been lovely talking to you and like, all the success in the world with the album and the, the coming tour. Thank it, you. It's amazing. And, and uh, I can't wait to see you live again. Thank you. Oh, well, we'll let you know. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll have a look at some of the dates. And if you can make any, yeah, we'd keep, love keep, to see yeah, you. Yeah, keep in touch when you see us coming yeah. here. Definitely. That wraps up episode number 72 of The Ugly American Werewolf in London with my interview with Deborah Bonham and Peter Bullock of Bonham Bullock, who have an incredible new blues album out that I really encourage you guys to check out. If you like blues, you like blues guitar, you like soulful singing, you're going to like this one a lot. And I really want to thank them both for their generosity of spirit uh, and generosity of time and the great stories that they shared there. It's kind of crazy to learn. We, we had a great conversation that I think you heard, but also some stuff off the record 
record that was uh, really fun for me to hear. It turns out they lived right around the corner from me uh, about 30 years ago when they first moved to London. We shared the same neighborhood pub. So if you have the chance, definitely go out and catch them on the road and pick up Bonham Bullock. It is out April 29th. Now, as usual, folks, we want you to subscribe and download and call us out on Twitter at Ugly underscore Werewolf at ActionJack72. Let us know the records, the bands, concerts, the DVDs, the rock properties that you want us to review. Let's all say hi to Jackson out there and hope that his family situation is all resolved so we can have him back on next week's show. Be sure to download and subscribe anywhere you get your podcast, be it Apple, Amazon, Good Pods, Google Play, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast. And if you're thinking about it, hey, give us a positive review. It just helps us find more rock fans like you. And if we hear about it or read it, we might just read it on the show. Now, I honestly can't tell you what we're going to be doing next week. There's a lot of great things happening here at The Wolf right now. We're excited about and we can't wait to share with you real soon. But there are also some things up in the air. So next week's show will be as big a surprise to you all as it is to me. Remember to check us out on PantheonPodcast.com. We're one of a family of about 100 amazing music podcasts podcasts on Pantheon. Check them out at Pantheon Pods as well. So proud to be part of the family and we're going to be interacting with some of our fellow Pantheon podcast shows in the near future. So stay tuned for that. And until next time, rock and rollers, to all you rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.